we've been talking about, uh, really, as the church has started, we've been talking about unity. And, and then last week we talked about diversity and the diversity of gifts within the church. And, you know, the, the result of the church's unity and diversity is the church's maturity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Paul wants the, the, Paul wants the people to grow up and he's going to list traits of spiritually mature Jesus followers, which in turn leads to spiritually mature churches. But I want to frame this correctly today because before we go into this, because um, a, a healthy or mature church doesn't mean uh, that everyone is at the same particular level theologically. Okay, uh, a healthy and mature church. Uh, when we when when I'm talking about this right now, when when Paul is is going to be sharing about this, a healthy and mature church is it, it's a church where new people are being brought in. Right? Like there's new people and not everybody's at the same place, right? New people are being brought in. People are being uh, saved. They're receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. People are being discipled. So you have groups of people that are coming in uh, that, that are brand new to faith, that are exploring faith. And then you have other people in the same church uh, that are mentoring, discipling, teaching, equipping. Uh, that's happening. Uh, we see outreach happening and, and, and all of those things. People being baptized. That's all happening. When we say, and talk about a mature church, there's energy to it, okay? For many people, when we say a mature church, uh, what they picture in their head is actually a dying church. That's not what Paul is talking about here. And if you're new or, or exploring faith, a healthy church is the perfect place to help you along in this journey. Uh, a mature church is also a place where you should invite people to. Because once again, when I say mature, it's mature in the faith. It's spiritually. Things are happening. God is alive and well and working. Um, and that's important as we talk about this. Uh, Ephesians 4.13, it says this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he had just talked about in, in verse 12 there, talking about equipping and building up. And verse 13, it says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, here's, here's what's important. Faith here, in, in, as it's written here, is, is the entire content of the gospel. It's the complete body of doctrine. Uh, so whenever it talks about uh, faith here, uh, that's important for you to understand. It says, until we all attain the unity of faith. So we come together in light of truth. When Jesus' followers are properly taught, faithfully serving, being built up in spiritual maturity, unity of faith is an inevitable result of that. God's pattern for building his church, we see, is through a knowledge of Jesus. Now, Paul's not talking right here about a saving knowledge, but a deep knowledge that happens through relationship with Jesus that only can come through uh, study, prayer, uh, obedience to God's word. So it's this depth of relationship that he's talking about here, and that's what brings about this maturity and also causes unity. It's interesting, after many years, Paul still sought this for himself. We, we read in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Okay, so, so he's literally saying, I've counted it all uh, as, as lost. Everything else is, is considered as lost compared to the incredible power of being able to know Jesus, of knowing him, of this deep relational connectedness that we're able to have with Jesus. And he says, that's what I'm about. That's what I'm going for. And, and when we think about growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus, that is a continuous process. It's a lifelong process. In fact, we don't fulfill uh, you know, that process until we're actually going to see him face to face. But our goal is to be like him. I mean, when you think about what, what Jesus wants, wants, wants with us, like he wants us to know him. And that's something that's, that's really interesting. Like, because when, when you think about certain people in your life, they want to keep uh, your relationship with them. Uh, they want to keep it a little distant because why? They don't want you to fully know them. They want you to know a particular uh, part about them or, or something in particular, or they want you to think uh, just maybe in this one avenue of their, li- of their life, you want, they want you to know about it, but they don't want you to know everything. Jesus wants you to know everything about him. Jesus wants, like he's not hiding anything. And I think that's what you need to hear right now. Uh, Jesus is not inviting you into a relationship so he can only reveal parts of who he is. He wants to show you everything because he knows if he shows you everything, you're going to desire even more. You're going to want a deeper relationship as a result of what you learn about him. There are certain people in your life that as you got to know more about them, you went, you know what? That's okay. I think I'm going to create some distance between me and this person because I don't see the, this, this relationship being edifying or maybe being right or, or being a relationship that, that I should even be in. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus and when you desire, just as Paul said, to pursue him, to pursue this Christ-likeness, the, that fulfillment there, you need to understand as you learn more about Jesus, you keep wanting to learn more. Because he's so incredible, his love for you, as you study his love, I mean, you just, you just want more. And so we see here when it says to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Christ's fullness here is an expression of completion or perfection. So the goal for us is to be just like him. The church in the world is Jesus in the world. Because the church is now the fullness of his incarnate body to the world. So when you think about the church, why this is so important, the church is critical that we operate in how it's asking us to operate and how it's asking us to, to fulfill our callings uh, because we are called to radiate and reflect Christ's perfections, Christ's character to the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, so, so, so this is where we were, um, but we're, we're, we're literally being transformed into that same image. That's the process. That's sanctification. The process of becoming more like him. 
And this happens as the Holy Spirit starts to change us more and more into his image. And that, as a result, brings maturity. Verse 14, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, children uh, are, are, are very gullible and easily deceived, um, especially the younger they are. You know, my kids, my kids, uh, for example, uh, they think that I can cause things to appear out of my out of my mouth, you know, like money and things like that or out of my out of my ear. Uh, you know, they think I can make things disappear uh, with my hands. They think my they think my thumb literally comes apart and can come back together. And, and so I, I, I look at that and and but what I'm actually doing when I do those things with my boys and making them think that there's things in their ears or, or that is what I'm doing is actually tricking them right? I'm tricking them. And at this stage of their development, it's really easy to trick them. It just really is. You know, the New Testament writers that we see throughout scripture, they use this term children and they use the term infants. And Paul actually uses the term infants in relation to people, uh, in relation to these Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. Okay. In other words, you were spiritually, you were infants. Okay. You were babies. You were toddlers. And I have tried to slowly uh, grow you through what I'm feeding you. And guess what? I'm so discouraged. You're still not there. You should be farther along, but you're still there. I'm still after feeding you. I'm still having to feed you this, this milk. And when you think about infants or children in the spiritual life, in the spiritual life, like many of the Corinthian believers, they are in constant danger of falling prey to every new religious fad or interpretation of scripture because these spiritually infant or, or these children, they are not to a place where their faith is anchored in God's word. So they're tossed around. It's just like, you know, we got the Pacific Ocean about an hour away here. And man, you go out there and you start getting rocked. You start going out there into the ocean. And man, you, you start like this first comes a, a, alive to you. And you think of the power of the waves and the wind. And, and, and you know what? There's, there's some of us even watching right now. That has been our spiritual journey. We have been tossed all around. We've been about this. Now, now we're about that. I think we'll try this. I heard this. This person seemed inspiring. This person seemed to get me. All this. I think I'm going to listen to them because I like them. And, and what we, we're literally that picture. And the problem is we have no anchor. There's nothing that we're anchored to. And so our steering is gone. And so we find ourselves living in this way. And it's confusing. It's contradictory. And at the end of the day, you really didn't go anywhere. You've been tricked. And that's what happens when we're spiritually infants, spiritually children, and we stay in that place. It's interesting. The word for trickery uh, in the Greek is a term uh, from which we get cube and was used 
of dice playing. And the dice, just as they are now, were often in those days, uh, we call it a loaded dice, right? Um, which gave uh, whoever was rolling the dice an unfair competitive advantage um, and or whoever was controlling the dice. And so uh, we see the term for dice, it became synonymous with dishonest trickery. And craftiness, we see the word craftiness here, it's a, it's a similar term, carrying the idea of clever manipulation. And what we see is these false teachers, not only back then, but even now, um, these false teachers try to capture and, 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 and literally um, imprison with their mind these young, immature Jesus followers. Or maybe just people that call themselves Christians. You see, many members of the false cults that we see even today, many of them come from local churches. Particularly churches that do not feed their people the word of God. Now, I want to be very clear. That's not me taking some shot at another church. There are a lot of great churches. There's great churches where we're at here in Eugene and the Springfield area that, that teach the Bible and that incredible uh, churches. And, and so that's not what this is about. This isn't about saying, oh, at Ecclesia, we really teach the Bible. No, no, it's not about that. It's just the reality that our job is to help spiritually mature people to teach truth, to teach them God's word so that they can have an anchor, so that they are able to grow up. Because that is essentially what Paul is saying. Children must be taught, right, as they grow up. Some of us are experiencing difficulties right now teaching our kids because maybe they were out of school, but now we're doing it. But we see that it is essential for our kids to be taught so that they can grow up. I do not tell my six-year-old to drive his brothers to school. I don't tell him to do that because he's six. He doesn't know how to drive. He's not old enough to drive. He needs to be taught how to drive, right? And, and so when we think about believers, people that are trying to you know, uh, pursue this relationship with Jesus, they need to be taught. They need to grow up in that. Because we all enter this life, we all enter Christian life as spiritual babies, and we are called and asked and, and, and commanded to grow up in this, to grow up. And listen, when I say grow up, here's why I'm so excited while I'm saying that. Because as you grow up, it increases love, joy, peace, hope, all these things. It increases your, your understanding of Jesus and, and all of that. And so that's why in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, it says, 1 through 3, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So maturity brings with it a capacity to evaluate and accept what is true and reject what is false. And that is so critical, especially today when you have more information, more opinions, and more uh, things spiritually uh, or more things under the umbrella of Christianity being put your way, being put in front of you, showing up on your news feeds, all those things. See, Hebrews 5 14, it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I am not doing my job 
if I am not helping equip our church so that they can stand, so that they have an anchor into the truth of God's word, so that when they are bombarded, when you are bombarded with things that are in opposition to who God is and what he teaches and what he says and and in regards to salvation and all of that, so that you're able to identify that, stand firm, and so that you are not tossed around between this and that. And here's what I also want to say. If we don't equip people, if our church isn't equipping people, if our church isn't equipping kids, if our church isn't equipping middle school, high school, college, uh, young marrieds, families, um, elderly, if, if everything else, if our church is not equipping people, somebody else is equipping them. Someone else is waiting to jump in. And, and I'm not talking about like another church. I, I'm saying like, like things that are in opposition to God are waiting to jump into the gaps that we create in what we teach and not teach. Parents, with your kids, if you're a Jesus follower, you are called to disciple and to raise those kids up. I think of some of you mothers even right now that are watching on Mother's Day, like, man, it, what a calling, what a high calling and those of you that maybe they're someone else's kids right now and they're looking to you um, and that like we have a calling to help, to equip, to mentor and to disciple. And I just want to tell you right now, if, if even if you're a parent and your kids or, or someone's kids and God's called you to be in their life, either you're going to disciple them or somebody else is going to disciple them. Okay, everybody, I say this all the time, everybody is being discipled by somebody. Okay, and, and, it's, and, and here's the reality. Who's discipling your kid? Maybe YouTube. Who's discipling your kid? Maybe a video game. Who's discipling you? Maybe maybe this person in another country or this or that. You may be looking to this. You may be looking to that. All kinds of different things, different religions, all of that. Um, a cult. There are so many things that are looking to get us to follow it or follow them. And so if we're not teaching people to follow Jesus and what that looks like and how to do that, they're just going to follow something else. And so we have to be about that. We have to help people grow up, equip, and empower people in this. Verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So God desires Jesus' followers to present the truth. Did you see this? The truth to others in what? In love, it says. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. You know, it has been said, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. Sometimes in our desire to uphold or protect truth, we wage a war that lacks love. And sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it seems like people are actually pursuing fights. It seems like some people actually enjoy pointing out where everybody else is wrong and pursuing that. I want to challenge some of you with that. Because you may be great at forcing your opinion, your views, and you may say, I'm protecting truth. But I'm telling you right now, if you start a conversation with someone saying, you're wrong, Tell me how that goes. It typically doesn't end well. 
But I know when I have a positive interaction with someone that maybe believes something different than me and we just want to have a conversation, uh, you know, my goal is always like, man, how do I get this individual to just think through things a little different? How do I earn the right to even voice my opinion? And, and, uh, and so the way to do that is always through love. But it's not a love that, that then sacrifices truth because just as some of us come in really hard um, in a way where we say, I'm protecting truth and, and, and you're going at somebody without love, the other side of this that is also dangerous is people that are determined at all costs to maintain love, but in order to do so, they sacrifice truth. Both of these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Like truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love and love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. Like they have to go together. And, and we know very clearly we are to hold the truth high. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15 in the NAS, it says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And then it says the pillar and support of the truth. That's what the church is. We also, along with that, as we hold up truth, we also must remember the centrality of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? All about love. How important that is to model that, to demonstrate that, the sacrificial love that we're to have and, and, and how we're to love each other and those who have yet to put their hope and trust in Jesus. You know, the wording uh, in Greek uh, in verse 15 uh, is truthing love. It's literally truthing in love. Now, of course, truthing uh, is not a word in English, but the idea is pretty clear, right? Maturity involves a truth-telling, truth-maintaining, and truth-doing love. The spiritually equipped church whose members are sound in doctrine and, and mature in their thinking and living is a church that will reach out in love. In love will be the attitude as we evangelize. You know, he doesn't give us the, these gifts of knowledge, of understanment, uh, of, 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 you know, of, of, of maturity and, and, and all, all these things. Like, he doesn't give us that ability to comprehend these deep truths and understand him more clearly in order for us to just keep that, hold on to that, and then just defend anything against that. No, uh, he's given us that so that we can then, through love, share it, and by love, share it with other people. That's the purpose. And, 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 and I can't think of a better uh, section of verses than in 1 Thessalonians. Paul just like shares his heart for these people as a leader. And I think this is really important for us. Because right now, man, I'll tell you what, it, it seems like uh, we are in a very um, pivotal point where we want to say we're right and they're wrong. And I, wa I want you to just hear how Paul ministered to these people. It, it, it really, it challenges me to think of how I lead. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, it says this. Paul is saying, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses 
and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Do you, do you see the incredible love, the leadership that Paul demonstrated in how he led people? Using an analogy of a mother, of a father there to these people. He cared so deeply. I just feel like in our day and age, it's really easy to just throw shots and and one-liners and phrases and verses. But man, when you look at how he loved people, how he led, how he got into the foxhole with people, how how maybe maybe he disagreed with people, uh, maybe he was experiencing different challenges, but man, he loved them. He didn't soften the truth. He didn't didn't negate the truth. No, but you see an incredible example of, of truth and love. See, Paul, uh, you know, and, and, and I just want to ask you, are you known for that, for, for love and truth and how you deal with people? Is our church known for that? Because Paul tells us to hold both of those things together. They're not mutually exclusive. They're to be held together. And, and the, the way this happens is just to walk. This is a byproduct of walking in the Holy Spirit. Because what, what do we know that the Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is himself the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth. And what is the first fruit of his love? Love. For the first fruit of the Spirit is love, right? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. So he is, one, the Spirit of truth, and the first fruit is love. So it is, there is a byproduct that happens. There is a result that happens of us walking in obedience to him. It says, we are to grow up, it says, so that the body of Christ may be properly proportioned in relation to the head. Now, this whole idea uh, of the growth of the body of Christ until it matches the head, it, it really compares to the, the normal development of the human body. Uh, because in infancy, the body is small in comparison uh, with the head, but it grows until it reaches the right proportions. At least we hope, right? <laughs> the body supports the head. That's the desired result. That's what's supposed to happen. You know, uh, it's so funny because uh, whenever I do a baby visit or, or we'll hang out and, and, and my kids now, uh, you know, you know, thankfully their, their heads start to look uh, in the proportion to their bodies. But, but a lot of times it's like, man, look at the head on that baby. And they'll be like, what's wrong with our baby's head? It's so big. And I don't think it could walk because it's trying to drag its head along and all of this. And it's so hilarious because this is so true, right? That, that it's disproportion uh, as an infant. It's a large head. And so, man, we make jokes and all of that. And, and then we're like, okay, God, I pray that, that my baby's full body would match its head. And, and then it happens. But, but the reality is this. Many times, if we as a church do not equip, build up, operate in the giftings and, and unify all these things, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work. We are literally that image. We're not a completed body. It doesn't look how it should. It's not operating how it's designed to be because the head is disproportionate to the body. And that's not the design intent, right? We're we're talking about growing up here into the head. Who's the head? He's the head. Jesus is the head. It's by his authority. It's his leadership. He's the power source. In Colossians 2.9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. To grow into his likeness is to be completely subject to his will because as the head, he's directing the body, okay? As the head, uh, he is the one operating, telling everything else what to do and how to do it. And so so we want to be... 
in proportion. We want to be in alignment to all of that. And in verse 16, it continues with this body analogy. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he returns uh, to this body metaphor. Every member is a limb in Christ's body. And Jesus is not only the goal of the growth, he is the source of the growth. That's huge. So we're not only looking up to the head and that, but we're also realizing and knowing that he is the source. He's our ultimate need. And and from the whole body, he is how we effectively grow. And so the joining of the body is described by, by the phrase, it says, joined and held together. And this means that every believer, just like a physical uh, body is perfectly designed for their own place and function, uh, those, those different uh, areas and that joined, so joined together in order to make um, a complete and living organism. When you think about just the body and the human body, like when you look at that in relation to Christ's body, you need to understand right now that as a part of that, as a body part of that, you have value and purpose and your gifting has value and purpose for the building up of his body, for the uh, pr- the right proportion nature of his body that he desires it to have, for it to look like all it's supposed to look like. You are needed, you are desired, and he is the focal point and he is also the enabler. Christ holds the body together and makes it function by that which every joint supplies, it says. Each joint and ligament fulfills a role in the growth and usefulness of the body. Once again, just like our body and just like the body of Christ. As each believer responds to the direction of the head, Jesus, and fulfills their unifying and edifying role, the body grows. Spiritual growth in the church doesn't come from the outside, but from the power within Jesus. And the defining characteristic, it says, is love. It's so cool how the church doesn't need all these outside forces to build it up. No, the church builds itself through the power of Jesus, because of Jesus. It's according to his plan. And he says, as that happens, the defining characteristic, it says, that the body will manifest is love. When it's built up according to his plan, the world will know that it's the body of Christ by the love that it extends out, that reaches. You know, it's, it's wise and, and good to be health conscious, taking care of our physical bodies. It's a wise thing, but let's be more concerned about the health of the body of Christ. May our local churches, may we as a church be marked by spiritual unity, spiritual diversity, and an ever-increasing spiritual maturity. You know, once again, I just want to encourage those of you right now that are mentoring, that are training up people, you're equipping people, man, keep it up. You're making such a great impact. You're helping people. It's, It's so important. You're saving them essentially from being tossed to and fro. You're establishing a foundation and anchor, and that is so critical during a time like this. And once again, I want to encourage you mothers, 
people don't see a lot of what you go through. People don't see um, the struggle a lot of times that you have. Now, I'll say this. More people are seeing it because, uh, you know, for the first time that I can ever remember, I'm home a lot more during the day and I'm seeing what my wife's having to do. And I'm like, oh, man. And and so I, w- I will say this. We're seeing a lot more than we used to. But I'll tell you this for a lot of you mothers that that are that are that are literally wearing multiple hats and all of this, like, you know, um, continue to love and equip those kids. If you're a grandmother, if you're a spiritual mother to someone else, continue to equip, continue to develop, to pour in. If you're a man, if you're a father, if, if, if you're a coworker of somebody or, any, or, or you're a part of this church, continue to equip, to train up, to help mature. It is so needed. There has never been a time where more voices, more distractions, more things that are causing us to question our faith or go after something else have been easily accessible. There's no other time. And so we're being bombarded with it. And like I said, either we're going to equip or something else is going to equip us. What are we going to choose to do about it, church? And here's the other challenge I want us to think about right now is let's not wait until we can have in-person Sunday gatherings to mature and to grow spiritually and to utilize our giftings. Okay, like like there is like, listen, you didn't lose your giftings like you still have your giftings. God just may want to use them differently during the season. Yeah, you can't, we, we're not meeting together in that. But, but guess what? How you teach may just look differently, okay? How you disciple may look a little different. How you engage in community may look a little different. Um, how you love people, how, how you do all, all these different things, how you serve people, all of that. Is, it may look a little different, but you can still do it. And I just want to challenge you. Let's keep going in this. Like God wants to continue to mature and to cultivate us. And I just got to believe that even in this time right now, he still, it just looks different. He still wants to use our giftings. He still wants to use us to be a light. He still wants the world to look at the church and see Jesus Christ. And, and what a greater time than for them to see that than right now. So let's, let's do this. Let's move forward by faith in him and watch him mature and grow our church and do something incredible. Amen.